Hello everyone and welcome to the March 28th edition of WorkComp Academy Weekly News. I'm Darlene Ball with Floyd, Scarin and Kelly. Let's get started with our litigation report. The Court of Appeal declared that a claimant who litigated his case for 20 years was a vexatious litigant and as such precluded from filing more legal actions. Joe Hawkins filed a workers' compensation claim in connection with his employment with the Levitz Furniture Company in 1990 and has continually litigated issues in connection with that claim before the WCAB, the Superior Court, the Court of Appeal, and the Supreme Court over the years. He has also unsuccessfully sued Mohawk Finishing Company and other companies he contended created the toxic chemicals to which he was allegedly exposed at Levitz. Hawkins' claim before the WCAB was denied. In 2009, Hawkins continued his pursuit of a remedy and filed another lawsuit in the Superior Court. And he named just about everyone as a defendant, including Travelers Insurance, the Hannah Brophy Law Firm, Richard Jacobsmeyer, and other attorneys, as well as the WCAB and Judge Salbin Chapala. These defendants argued that Hawkins had been litigating his work-related injuries for approximately 20 years and that he had filed a civil action in 2008 virtually identical to the new one now before the court. The Superior Court dismissed the complaint and entered an order declaring Hawkins to be a vexatious litigant. Hawkins appeared, appealed the dismissal to the Court of Appeal. In the unpublished opinion of Joe Pat Hawkins versus the Travelers Insurance Company, the Court of Appeal sustained the dismissal and affirmed the finding of a vexatious litigant. The Court concluded that the statute of limitations applicable to any claim for fraud or legal malpractice had expired and that the Superior Court lacked jurisdiction to review issues arising out of the workers' compensation proceedings. With respect to the claim against Judge Chapala, the decision stated that it was well settled that judges are absolutely immune from individual liability for their judicial acts. Further, the claims against defense attorneys were based on written communications they made in connection with their representation of the employer and claims are barred by the litigation privilege specified in Civil Code Section 47. The dismissal of all defendants was justified and the vexatious litigant designation was found to be proper. Employers are still having problems defending against LaBeouf total disability awards. Under the 1983 case of LaBeouf versus WCAB, the California Supreme Court said that an injured worker is deemed 100% disabled if the worker is medically and vocationally precluded from competing in the open labor market. LaBeouf was potentially nullified by SB 899, as noted by the 2008 6th District Court of Appeal opinion in Hertz versus WCAB Aguilar. Aguilar had injuries to his knees, shoulders, and wrists, which when combined with his inability to read and write English, supported a finding by the judge at trial that he was permanently totally disabled. The 6th Appellate District reversed the finding of total disability because the finding was based in part on pre-existing non-industrial factors, that is, Aguilar's inability to read and write in English. The court reasoned that the new language contained in Labor Code Section 4663, which provides that an employer is liable only for the percentage of Aguilar's permanent disability directly caused by his industrial injuries, would not allow disability to be based upon these non-industrial factors. Despite the Hertz decision, employers continue to receive 100% permanent awards based upon factors other than those directly caused by the industrial event. The City of Irvine has asked the California Supreme Court to question 
whether the Workers' Compensation Appeals Board may make a 100% permanent disability award that ignores the AMA guides and Almazar Guzman and is based on a physician's opinion that future employers would illegally discriminate against the injured worker and not hire him. In the city of Irvine versus WCAB Hansen, a police officer suffered a disabling stroke causing paralysis, weakness, and psychological problems. The Disability Evaluation Unit determined permanent disability to be 98%. However, largely based on the PQME's assertions that the officer would never work again, in part because no employer would hire him, the workers' compensation judge awarded 100% PD. The judge relied on the doctor's assertion that no employer would hire Hansen. It would seem that potential discrimination is not disability directly caused by his industrial injuries and according to Section 4663 should not be considered in making an award. The employer also argues that the award is not based upon anything within the four corners of the AMA guides as required by the decision in Almazar Guzman. Employers are still having difficulty with LaBeouf type total disability awards. It may take months for the Supreme Court to review the City of Irvine case and to decide if they will intervene. And now to our regulatory report. The DWC is preparing to launch a new electronic filing method, JetFile, that will make it easier than ever for paper filers to become e-filers and join the e-team. Electronic filing is the fastest way to get documents into EAMS. Starting in May, filers will be able to choose between two electronic methods, e-forms or jet file. While e-forms have been available for nearly three years, they are best suited for uh, small to medium offices. Larger volume filers need a method to allow them to send multiple files in one transaction. JetFile will allow them to do just that through Secure File Transfer Protocol or SFTP. New tools on the DWC website show how JetFile will work how filers can choose to build their own transmission method, purchase specifically developed vendor software, or use the services of a third-party vendor. A training video breaks down the differences between the methods and lists the benefits for each. The DWC website also has instructions on how to sign up for eForms or JetFile and other valuable resources. JetFile is being built in conjunction with external users as part of the pre Present Term Solution, or PTS. The other part of the PTS, a new public information case search tool, was launched in December. For more information, see www.dwc.ca.gov slash line eames or email eames at dir.ca.gov. Large volume filers are encouraged to contact the DWC for information about JetFile. And the DWC will stop accepting outdated versions of some OCR forms beginning April 1. And no, this is not an April Fool's joke. Last year, DWC made changes to several of its forms that filers use in the electronic adjudication management system. The updated forms were posted on the website last August. The changes included adding a box for the lien conferences on the Declaration of Readiness to Proceed, removing a box on the document cover sheet for the Vocational Rehabilitation Unit because vocational rehabilitation ended in 2009, amending the listing of document titles and document types on the document separator sheet, 
both in the body of the sheet and on the PDF version. And other changes. The division continued to accept the older versions of these forms during the transition, but starting April 1st, the outdated forms will be rejected. Filers who are filing are filling out forms directly from the DWC website or e-form filers logging into EAMS to fill out e-forms will not be affected. This is an issue only for filers who downloaded pre-August forms to their computers and have been using them to file new cases. The DWC worked with OCR form vendors to ensure their forms were compatible with the changes. Clients can check with their vendor to make sure they are using the updated versions. For a complete list of added and deleted titles, please check the DWC website. There are a lot of claims administrators who are not happy with the Medicare's secondary payer rules. It seemingly takes ages to get set-asides approved, and the entire process makes resolving a workers' compensation case difficult. But changes are in the work are in the works regarding Medicare rules and workers' compensation, and they have earned the support of major insurance trade groups, including the American Insurance Association and the Property Casualty Insurers Association of America. This month, the U.S. House of Representatives introduced the Strengthening Medicare and Repaying Taxpayers Act, also known as the SMART Act of 2011. The specific purpose of H.R. 1063 is to amend Title 18 of the Social Security Act with respect to the application of Medicare secondary payer rules for certain claims, including workers' compensation. The bill was introduced by Congressman Tim Murphy, a Republican, and Congressman Ron Kind, a Democrat. The bill is supported by the Medicare Advisory Recovery Coalition. The bill proposes certain time limits on CMS to respond to a request for the conditional payment reimbursement amount. If CMS fails to provide the amount within certain time limits, the requesting party shall not be liable for and shall not be obligated to make payment for any item or service related to the request. The proposed legislation finally mandates that CMS promulgate regulations establishing a right of appeal and appeals process with respect to any determination for a CMS request for payment. Such right of appeal shall include review through an administrative law judge and an administrative review board and access to judicial review in the District Court of the United States. This is not the first attempt Congress has made to expedite CMS hurdles. The SMART Act of 2011 is very similar to H.R. 4797, introduced in 2010, which has not been adopted. And now for a fraud report. Former employees of Bristol-Myers Squibb, or BMS, filed a whistleblower action in Los Angeles Superior Court, alleging that BMS bribed doctors to prescribe BMS drugs. The lawsuit alleges that the company provided illegal kickbacks to doctors in order to increase the company's pharmaceutical sales in California. The suit alleges that BMS instructed its sales representatives to court doctors with sports tickets, fancy meals, honoraria, all-expense-paid trips, and gifts to induce them to prescribe BMS drugs. It is claimed that the kickback scheme cost California insurance companies over $3.5 billion to cover the cost of the drugs. The case against the drug company was developed with help of former Laker player Lucius Allen and his wife Eve, who worked for Bristol-Myers and provided access to the basketball team. The suit alleges that doctors and family members were invited to Lakers' dream camps arranged by the company. 
Doctors were also allegedly treated to tickets and luxury suites for Lakers games and received pointers, balls, and autographs from some of the team's most famous players. The California lawsuit was originally filed in March 2007 and was sealed until last week when a judge granted request by the State Department of Insurance to make it public. The case is the latest major legal action against Bristol-Myers over fraud accusations. In 2007, Bristol-Myers paid $505 million to settle allegations by the federal government and other states that it used a kickback scheme to defraud the Medicare and Medicaid insurance programs. As part of the settlement, Bristol-Myers entered into a corporate integrity agreement with the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services. New York-based Bristol-Myers vowed to fight this case. Bristol-Myers Squibb said that the lawsuit has no merit and that the company will defend itself vigorously. The San Bernardino County District Attorney's Office arrested three people and charged them with workers' compensation fraud. Investigators arrested Pedro Mendoza of El Monte, Sergio Moreno, and Martha Valtierra, both of La Habra. The investigation revealed that Mendoza, Moreno, and Valtierra operated a roofing company in Ontario and failed to accurately report their employee wages to their workers' compensation insurance carrier, the State Compensation Insurance Fund, and to the California EDD. The business later relocated to the city of La Habra. Investigators used a search warrant and seized numerous documents, which led to the arrests of Mendoza, Moreno, and Valtierra. The three were booked into West Valley Detention Center and bail was set at $500,000 each. And in financial news, AIG may suffer as much as a $1 billion loss from the catastrophes in Japan and in other parts of the world, according to their loss projections. The losses include the recent earthquake, tsunami, and the nuclear plant explosion in Japan, and the New Zealand earthquake, the U.S. winter storms, the Northeast Australian floods, Cyclone Yasi, and the Brazilian floods. Kind of makes you want to stay in bed and pull the covers over your head, doesn't it? While the industry loses, uh, losses remain beyond calculation, AIG's Chartist Unit has recently reported a weak financial performance due to the fragile property and casualty cycle. During the fourth quarter of 2010, Chartist significantly incurred an operating loss of $4 billion, compared with $1.8 billion the year before. Their 2010 losses were attributable to higher claim and claim, adjust and ex uh, claim adjustment expenses and higher underwriting expenses. Consequently, their combined ratio deteriorated to more than 160% compared with about 132% the prior year. Charters recently announced a substantial reduction in their book of workers' compensation business nationwide. They claimed they wanted to avoid the poor market conditions for that line of business. However, despite the financial upheaval faced by AIG, Fortune 500 says it enjoys the leading insurer position. AIG has a diversified and unique franchise in both domestic and international markets, leaving behind prime peers such as MetLife and Prudential Financial. Majestic Capital Limited, formerly known as CRM, reported that its deal to be merged into another insurance group has failed. Majestic specializes in workers' compensation insurance. In September, Bermuda-based Majestic had agreed to be bought by Bayside Capital Partners for $7.8 million. However, a material deterioration in, cap in Majestic's capital surplus and failure to secure regulatory approval 
led to the termination of the proposed merger. A third reason was Majestic's failure to satisfy the closing condition with respect to termination of their lease for office space on terms acceptable to Bayside. Majestic leases about two and a half floors of the five-story office building. However, its shrinkage during years of trouble has left little staff occupying that space. The failure to complete the merger with Bayside is expected to result in a downgrade of Majestic Insurance Company's financial strength rating. As a result, Majestic Capital and its subsidiaries expect to seek protection under the applicable United States and Bermuda bankruptcy laws. Majestic is currently under a conservative proceeding ordered by the California Department of Insurance. And now our medical report. Good recoveries in the universe of workers' compensation injuries are few and far between. Many scientific medical studies have shown that recovery rates are worse for patients inside the workers' comp system compared to outcomes for the same procedure elsewhere. The other side of the coin is to read studies about what is normal elsewhere so that we can, get, we can set higher expectations for our treatment programs. A new study shows that people with arthritis have periodic difficulties on the job, but the problems might not make them less productive. And in many cases, simple changes in the workplace can be helpful. The findings reported in the journal Arthritis Care and Research are based on surveys of 490 working adults with either osteoarthritis, the common wear and tear form of joint problems often associated with aging or heavy sports activities, or inflammatory arthritis. The participants worked in a range of fields including transportation, sales, teaching, and business, and were surveyed four times over the four and a half years of the study. The new study found that while work difficulties are common, they are not constant. Over four and a half years, three-quarters of the study participants reported occasional rather than continuous difficulty with work. Only nine of every hundred people in the study had consistently severe difficulties, the types of problems that might prevent them from getting their job tasks done or force them to cut down on work hours. The lead researcher said that work limitation due to arthritis has tended to be discussed as something that is constant. However, now they think that it is more episodic. And that is important for employers, insurers, and workers with arthritis to know. The belief that people with arthritis are often a liability in the workplace is not the case. Many workers with arthritic conditions do, at some point, have problems at work. When it comes to easing these problems, most workers often took simple measures like using assistive devices or furniture changes to make their work easier. Or having a better chair, a stool under their feet, or a special computer keyboard could be helpful. That's all our news and events for this week. Please check our website daily for news updates, past editions of our news, and much, much more. And remember, you can subscribe to our weekly news podcasts and special reports using your iPhone, iPad, or iPod by searching for Work Comp Academy in the iTunes stores. Again, I'm Darlene Ball with Floyd, Skirin, and Kelly. Thanks for joining us today, and please stop by our website again next week for more news.